0: Hello and welcome to the Motormouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport Chat about their lives and everything in between This week we are joined by one of the faces of Sky Sports F1's coverage, the ever-engaging and very nice Natalie Pinkham is this week's guest. She's reported for Sky since 2012 and before that has had stints with the BBC as well as working on a number of different projects including some amazing and hard-hitting documentaries and charitable work. It was an honour to chat with her and hear her story. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to episode 36 of the Motormouth podcast. Before I introduce today's guest,
1: I have to headed, as always, over to Essex to bring in a stallion of a man in the county that is home to Romford Greyhound Track, where they once hosted cheetah racing, no less, in an attempt to get more people through the gates. And did you know that Colchester in Essex is Britain's oldest recorded town, and was in fact our first ever capital city? It also has the enviable title of being hometown to the prodigy Depeche Mode, Alison Moyet, and Jesse J. However, enough of the Essex-based frivolity. We're not here to talk about the home of Towie, No, we're simply here
0: to bring in my Essex-based co-host Harry Benjamin. How are you? Wow, I really think you actually know more about Essex than I do, and I've lived here for 23 odd years. Um, It took a lot of digging (laughs) to get those facts because, as you know, I've used a lot over the last year. I I don't know how you're still going. You're really, uh, you're really eking it out. Um, But either way, I'm good. Still alive in Essex, living in lockdown life. uh, Well, sort of half lockdown, whatever you want to call it these days. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All good. I'm very excited though because I am going to uh, a little staycation tomorrow. Mm -hmm, Nice. Uh, It's to the Peak District, so that'd be fun, just to see uh, with the family, to to see something else other than my own garden. Lovely. Um, so that'll be fun and exciting news as well that uh, our Lord and Savior Paul De Resta, has been yes. uh, announced as a reserve driver for McLaren. He's I'm
1: not in though yet, so don't get He's don't get in carried in. away. I don't
0: wish any harm on any of the drivers, <laughs> yeah, but right. wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be an amazing story? What would How you, are you? I, I'm fine. What
1: What would you do if it happened? Like, would you?
0: Pass I mean, I lost it last or? time when he raced for Williams, <laughs> so um, I don't know what I'd do this time. I'd because it's actually in a car that could score points, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm just yeah. Uh, I I don't want I don't want I don't want to get too excited. I think he could excited.
1: struggle. We'll have to have a chat with our, our guest about this later on. Get her take. on it. <laughs> um, right. Talking of which, shall I introduce her? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so today we're honoured to be joined by. Natalie Pinkham a familiar face uh, to all of us on Sky Sports and Sky Sports F1 a mother broadcaster charity campaigner uh, she's the face or the voice of her in the pink podcast which if you've not heard make sure to go and check that out wherever you listen ladies and gents it's my pleasure to welcome Natalie Pinkham to the Motormouth podcast
2: wow hi guys hello how are you?
0: very well very how are well you? thank you how are you how's uh, how's life been in this lockdown world
2: Oh, well, you know, it's been pretty good, actually. We've yep. actually stayed in one place for more than uh, three or four days. <laughs> so I've, uh, yeah, I've had a lovely time. I mean, look, I know it's been difficult for a lot of people and there's obviously extra pressures and anxiety and tensions for a lot, but I've actually loved just being, my husband and my two kids, uh, homeschooling, forget about it. Uh, terrible. Nightmare. No chance. But we've trained together in the garden. Obviously, the weather's been amazing and... Um, we're lucky to have, albeit a postage stamp of a garden. It's still outside space, yeah. and I think that's the that's the that's the uh, deal breaker, isn't it? Whether if you have or haven't got that, so yeah. I feel I feel a lot for those who haven't. It's been tough, but no, on the whole, very positive. It's
1: the the home the homeschooling thing is an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Well, I've got three kids now, and we um, yeah. we're we're, we're home, homeschooling two of them, and they just. They just can't do it. We 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 have actually no, no, given up. Hang on,
2: hang on. They can. We can't. <laughs>
1: well, there's there's that as well. Yeah, and 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 then you try and do it, and it just gets aggravated, and then you turn to alcohol, and then the you know then the, the rest is history. It's an absolute flipping nightmare. But um, but I just want to get them back to school. It's just, it just feels like they haven't been there for months.
2: It's tough on them, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, this will be a period of their lives that they never forget, and I'm sure it will toughen them up, and it'll be go down in the history books as being a chapter of all our lives that, that yeah. changes us and hopefully hopefully mm. the long run for the better
1: yeah yeah absolutely now you're obviously very familiar with podcasts um you've got one yourself in the pink how's it how's it all going
2: yeah it's good yeah um i've got just done one with george russell i'm doing one with alex albon this afternoon and kevin magnuson next week so it's very f1 heavy at the moment yeah um but then i've also got trevor nelson the oh, yeah. Oh, is oh, awesome. yeah, he's on Friday. Uh, no, sorry, Monday. Um, so there's a, a real eclectic mix, actually. I mean, it's just selfish of me, really, because I just I just interview people that I want to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and, all, you know, whatever background they're from. So it's nice. It's just yeah, it's lovely. I love doing podcasts.
0: Let's let's take it back to the start, though, now, as we as we do with all of our guests. So uh, we like to sort of uh, deep dive into their lives and careers. Um, Tell us about you and how it all started. You know, was broadcasting and, and motorsport and sport in general was that always a thing for you growing up, or did you just sort of fall into it? What was what was early life like?
2: Yeah, always sport-crazy family. Um, I have to say my chosen sport was always athletics. I love track and field. I love uh, watching it and participating. Zola Budd was my out-and-out hero growing up. Um, she didn't wear shoes, so neither did I. And I used to run around the garden, back into the house, back out into the garden, leaving paw prints everywhere, driving my mum mad. Um, and um, But then very early, motorsport was a thing for us, as was rugby and football. Um yeah we sort of loved everything my brother got me into f1 because he's older and as with all older brothers you want to try and be cool and be like them and hang out with them so i pretended i feigned an interest in order to spend more time with sam and then was like oh actually this is quite cool but he was really good he's always been very um sort of techie and engineering sort of minded like Unlike me, he kind of does understand the full workings of a car. He used to take old bangers to part and and put them back together again. And... I've never been like that, hence a uh, huge reliance on Ted in our team. Yeah. Um, I spent all my time with him trying to learn. It feels like I've transferred that from my brother across to Ted. The pressure's on Ted like
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> well, good.
0: So now. Yeah. So now your brother is also a broadcaster on the radio. Was he, um, was he a bit annoyed that you ended up going down the F1 route and he didn't? <laughs> <laughs>
2: (laughs) He did, actually. He used to say that uh, it was his dream job and he he flipped between being sort of jealous and actually then sort of living vicariously. But he had a a family suit before I did. And so it wasn't, that was never going to be a sort of viable option for him to, to try. He's always been a real homeboy as well. He doesn't love no, traveling no. as much as I do, but um, yeah, he, he loves it and he comes to races when he can. Um, but yeah, he works for Virgin now. He does the breakfast show before, does the early breakfast show. So he feeds into Chris Evans show and then quite often covers, he does like Monday mornings for Chris. So Chris could have a nice long weekend. Yeah, and, um, yeah. But but it's brilliant. And Chris is obviously a massive motorsport fan as well. So it all ties in very nicely.
1: Yeah, very nice. And when did it for you become something in terms of broadcasting and motorsport? When did it become on your radar that this could be a career choice for you?
2: Well, to be honest, it didn't. I always wanted to, um, to work in television. I wasn't sure whether in front or behind the camera. I just was fascinated by this box in the corner of the room that could get messages anywhere in the world. And I was, you know, my my, my mum used to say that I would stay and watch all the adverts. I was so interested in the sort of production of things. But she did always think I was a bit of a show pony. So even like when I made... Toast. I'd be like and here we have a slice of bread and I'll ask my glamorous assistant to pass me the butter this is how you butter the bread and (laughs) just to drive everyone mad um so she they always felt that I would be in front of the camera but um I kind of wanted to understand the workings of the industry first so I was a, a runner researcher assistant producer and then got my opportunity um actually presenting live poker Ah yes, uh, quite handy because people are either nodding off or pissed, so they don't know if uh, you know. It's quite a good place to cut your teeth. They don't yeah. know if you've made a mistake because no one's really concentrating. Yeah, uh, you get transfixed with live poker, don't you? You're like I just watched one more hand. Yeah, yeah. And then before you know it, it's like four hours later.
1: Yeah. Are you a poker so, player? Do you have you had yeah. a go? You are.
2: Yeah. So I um I used to do the European Poker Tour with uh my my dear um friend Caroline Flack and we used to travel around Europe together both playing and presenting poker together and it was a dream job you know I used to we just we went to every city in Europe and just had a brilliant time and it was a great place to learn live television Um, and then the opportunity in terms of Formula One came because Five Live contacted me and said would you like to be a pit lane reporter for us and it was really out of the blue and I thought, oh, my God, that would be amazing. But quite intimidating at the same time because it's one thing to be a fan of the sport. It's another thing altogether to to broadcast from it. Um, And, you know, as you guys well know... F1 is the kind of sport where the more you learn, the more you need to learn. It's like this giant onion that you just keep peeling layers off. And um, so, yeah, it was a a steep learning curve, but one that I've really enjoyed.
1: We've had um, a few broadcasters on the show, and um, I think it was Jenny Gao maybe that said to us um, she thought she knew a lot about formula one then started working in it and realized when she started working people like paul de harry i said his name we'll we'll talk about him um that uh, that she suddenly realized she had so much to learn and actually knew nothing yeah. um did did you experience that when you came into the sport
2: yeah you definitely learn um on the job and you know we're all works in progress so you never stop learning and um it's constantly evolving as a sport it's not really like football or rugby to that extent yeah. you know there's so much um, technical know-how which again is why I refer back to Ted uh, but uh, it's great having past racers with you because they give you such a different perspective so it's brilliant working with people like Paul de
1: Resta. Well, let, let's talk about Paul de Resta because. I tried to
2: say it in my sexy radio
1: voice said <laughs> so, Don't you'll get Harry overexcited. So, so, just so our listeners are aware, um, I'm, I'm sure they already know, but Harry is the biggest
0: Paul de Resta fanboy on the planet, bar none. And That's there is. Talk- I don't think I've ever met anybody else who, who likes Paul de Resta as much as I do. And no. I can't explain the fascination at all. Right. But I just—it's not. I don't think it's in a weird way. Just a big try, fan.
2: just try, just try.
0: So, well, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've watched Formula One, or I, you know, I, I, well, I was like okay, getting was, all giddy. You
1: can't get his words out.
0: I'm, I'm just so nervous about. <laughs> about um, no, so I'm, I remember watching Paul the rest vividly from 2011 to 2013. His 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 main stint in F1, and I love an underdog. Always have, always will. He was British, Scottish, but British, uh, and. You just And the thought that car was always like, if he got a fourth place or a sixth place, that was such a big deal. And he was he, I'm pretty, he was better than most of all of his teammates. Him and Hulkenberg were pretty evenly matched. And I just thought he deserves to be... And, all, and at the time, it was like, he, he might take over from uh, um, Schumacher in the Mercedes and all that was all the rumors that it was. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I can get on board with this guy. Underdog. Hamilton's already established. We've got Button. DiResta was the next one. And then he got sidelined. And I just thought it was so unjust. <laughs> And that he had such bad luck, and that people didn't um, quite—I think people misunderstood him as well. I don't think he maybe communicated very well. The kind of person he was, I don't know. I've never met the man, but um, I just—that's my—that's the reason I felt like I think his Formula One journey was cut short, and I think he could have been a very, very good Formula One. But he might be back. He could be back.
2: Could be, couldn't he? Stranger things have happened. Stranger
0: things have happened. Honestly, you should have seen me when he got when he replaced Massa all those years ago. I literally went ballistic ballistic.
2: But it was, and he, it was
0: and he proved that he was, yeah, and he proved that he, he still had it as well because he yeah. had no practice and still did it. Anyway, that's the PDR chat. Still waiting for him to come on the podcast. Um, that email, I haven't responded to my email yet, so uh, give him a little nudge, <laughs> will you? Um, <laughs> but we get sidelined by Paul DeResta quite a lot. Let's go back to you. F1, dream job for many. Can you pinpoint a best part of the job?
2: Well, certainly when I was um, younger, before I had kids, the travel was um, a massive draw for me because I've mm. always just wanted to see the world and experience different cultures. And what we used to do is we used to tack on a few days before and after each race to really explore each city and get to know the area and the country that we're in. It is much more difficult to do that now. And obviously I, I want to get straight back after the race to be back with my kids. And actually I try; I do take the kids to quite a few races as well. So um, I remember when when I had Wilf and he, so he's five now, but I had him and three months after I had him, I strapped him to me and we went to our first race together to Barcelona and, uh, it was brilliant. And he's been in pit lanes and in and around cars ever since. And as has Willow. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I want them to have that sort of well, that kind of don't be phased by anything Mm. attitude that I grew up with. That's always what my parents instilled in me just to go out exploring. So that's definitely a massive part of it. Also, I just think it's such an interesting sport with so many subplots. We've talked about the giant onion already, but it's this idea that there's so many elements to the sport. Mm. I love the politics of it. I love the, the, the difference of opinion and cultural differences that do tend to clash in the paddock. I'm always really interested why some driver dynamics work and some don't, why some engine suppliers and teams seem to work together in partnership and others don't. And um, it's just got everything. Um, And, you know, racing on top of all of that and meeting incredible people. And actually, I think, to be honest, a bit like you guys, I love... Meeting people, mm. I just love talking to people and finding out about people. Yeah, I'm like a sticky
1: beak. I think. That's yeah, amazing. no, we're the same, and, and and everyone's got a story, haven't they? You know, it doesn't matter who you talk to; everyone has their own individual opinion and story of how they got to where they they are. Um, it's fascinating, and, and and as I mentioned off air, we have had a couple of your colleagues on the show already um, in the form of uh, Crofty and uh, and Karun Um uh, You've got a, a, a lovely bunch of people that you work with. Uh, what's it like working with them? And uh, and who who's the weirdest?
2: Ooh. Well, I tell you, we've all got our quirky little idiosyncrasies and foibles, but um, they are genuinely a lovely bunch of people. You're spot on. And they have to be because we spend so much time together. And certainly, again... Um, in the early days we, you know, it's pretty much nine months of the year. We just traveled and, but we used to have so much fun and we still do. We definitely still do. Um, but yeah, just, just a lovely kind of mix of characters. Um, not enough women for my liking, yeah. uh, definitely want more, more of a female presence. And, uh, in the early days, I used to do the job with Georgie Thompson and Georgie, um, was my best friend from childhood because we went to boarding school together and we couldn't believe it when we ended up in the same team at work. So she was working for... So she'd come up through the ranks at Sky and I'd gone the BBC route. And then when Sky got the rights from the BBC, I was obviously working for Five Live. And then when they got the rights, the TV to come across sky then well i threw my hat in the ring i said go on can you give me a chance and they said yeah okay so i went across with ted crofty martin brundle um and and so it was great because i had like four really good mates already and then i was joining another best mate and i'd known lasers for 20 years as well
0: yeah wow
2: um and so it was this lovely coming together, and we yeah just had such a laugh, and we shared information. And what I love is that they're all team players; um, they've all got we've all got each other's backs, and no one wants to see another one struggle. Yeah. So we all work hard to help each other out in that respect. And we all got you know we're all juggling; we've all got. Um, pressures and challenges from home and so it is so vital that you do get on with your colleagues
0: yeah that's really really nice that really comes across on screen as well talking about sort of inclusivity and that's quite hot in motorsport at the moment obviously um particularly being a woman in the paddock as we've discussed what how's it been you've been in formula one since since the bbc five live days you've seen that a lot of things change has enough changed are there moves to make? That, how do you see the future going? How does it feel to be a woman in the paddock right now?
2: No, not enough has changed. I mean, we are still 88% male and 91% white. I mean, that they're, they're terrible stats yeah. Yeah. Um, for the sport. And so no, short answer, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I've always said that once you're in the sport, it feels like a meritocracy so if you work hard you'll get your opportunities and you can power through but there aren't enough female role models within the sport or members of the BAME community in order to for people watching to feel like it is a viable career choice, that it's accessible, they need relatable role models, which is why I know I came in for quite a lot of criticism at the time from those that love the glamour of the grid girls, and I did too. But for me, the problem was if, if beautiful girls stood in front of cars doing nothing other than standing in front of the cars, then young girls watching would think that their only chance of being involved in F1 was to look a certain way. Yeah and nothing else, you know, not not talk about cars, not drive them, not negotiate contracts around them, not run teams. So this is why we really need to put the spotlight more on other women like Claire Williams. Um, but actually, next week, I'm doing a feature with the three female strategists so the stats i've just told you very different when it comes to strategists we've got 30 percent of the strategists in formula one are women
1: really that's great
2: really cool so i'm going to go and see them next week um we've got bernie at racing point we've got hannah at uh, red bull and we've got um ruth at alfa romeo all brilliant women brilliant brains brilliant minds and this is what we need to be showing is that there is stuff happening but more needs to happen and yeah. and, and, and cause and effect thing. so yeah i'm, I'm really passionate about it and um Karine and i are working hard on creating ideas to improve the diversity within the sport because it's vital you know yeah. 2020 for god's sake
1: yeah absolutely and we obviously you mentioned claire there um she's come in for um criticism over the last you know couple of years um some of it just and fair some of it perhaps not do, do you think um the fact that she's a woman has any bearing on some of that criticism do you think it's that still exists in the sport
2: I'm afraid so. It would be very naive of me to pretend it doesn't. I mean, I I often say, um, you know, if people ask me whether I've experienced sexism within the sport. I say, no, no, of course not. And they hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Until people like me actually acknowledge that everyday sexism is a thing, yeah. unconscious bias is a thing, then nothing's going to change. Now, has it affected me? Um, you know hopefully not it's probably toughen me up i've probably got sort of thicker skin because of it but um it's there of course it's there you know you 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 need to feel like you've got a voice um and you need to be able to use that voice and feel that it counts um and actually i think this whole uh Discussion at the moment is, has been really good for everyone within the sport because they've suddenly actually started thinking. Yeah, I wonder what it is like for someone like Lewis or Karoon yeah. or um, a woman, you know, anyone who isn't um, represented to to the fullest yeah. extent within our sport. Oh. And suddenly, if if you can just see the world through another's eyes for a moment, you realise what needs to change. I mentioned Trevor Nelson earlier. Um, It reminds me of a time with him because we used to do an NFL show together. And he said to me, um, oh, should we go for a production meeting before the show? I was like, yeah, 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 great. And I suggested a venue. And when we walked in to this venue, he just looked around and sort of rolled his eyes slightly. And I said, oh, you know, everything okay? And he goes, well, look around. Do you see another black person in this whole place? And I went no but it's oh yeah i know I, I mean he said now imagine if i'd ask you to come and meet me for a production meeting and there wasn't another white person in the place yeah. you would have an issue with that and i went yeah god maybe i would yeah. and because i didn't see the color of his skin as an issue i didn't think he would within that environment and that's what i mean about just trying mm. to see through another person's eyes um, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Just because
2: you know you're not racist and you believe that you want change in the world doesn't mean that you can't occasionally just try to view things from another's perspective. And that's what we talk about, the need of educating all of us, we all need to learn more and be better.
1: I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And it, it, it made me think recently with this whole Lewis Hamilton, you know, and Black Lives Matter movement, um, for the first time in my life, and we were talking to Willie T. Ribbs about this. We had him on a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and, he, and we had a good chat with him about it. For the first time in my life, it made me um, reflect more and think more about how I perceive it all. And like you, you know, I don't think I'm a racist person, but I also didn't think about it enough, and it, did, it took a, a penny to drop in my own mind. Because actually, I get it now. Like I do understand why Lewis feels uncomfortable. I understand about your story with Trevor, and and not just that. You know, females in motorsport, transgender people like Charlie Martin in motorsport. Okay. And it's, if you put yourselves in in their shoes, you suddenly look at things in a totally different way, and it's mm. completely changed the way I view the whole thing. So it's it's mm. definitely been a worthwhile discussion. Okay. Um, just uh, just to lighten the mood slightly um the uh you you dodged cleverly my question about uh who's the weirdest uh in the team. Ah. So um I, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be um uh, someone like Johnny but I'd, I'd like to hear from from you oh. who who's the oddball who's the one that you always laugh at in the team?
2: Oh well, we definitely always laugh at Johnny, um, but in with with the most amount of love. I mean, he is universally the most popular person in our team. There is not a bad side to that man. He is kind. He's considerate. He's unselfish. You can't walk through the paddock without him being stopped twenty times. I mean, honestly, you've got to factor in at least half an hour extra Johnny time if you want to get from one end of the paddock to the other. It's Slightly different now that. There's hardly anyone in there, but he has got time for everyone and he will stop and talk. Um, And he's just a very decent human being. So, yeah, he's right up there on the top step of the podium for me when it comes to teammates. Um, In terms of the oddest, God, we've got a few. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of OCD in our team. There's lots of quirky guys, particularly the ex-drivers, doing certain things, you know, it has to be a certain amount of dips of the tea bag and the teacup. There has to—they they, in their own underpants. You know, they think. Are they, I mean, I drive them mad because I'm quite messy, and they're like, "Oh my god, Pinky, this just absolutely drives me nuts." Crofty, for example, the other day at Silverstone, um, we we don't have catering um, because of coronavirus, so we have these little pack meals that we bring in and put in the microwave. And I'm like rushing, like a typical mum, trying to do too many things at the same time and probably dropping a few plates while I'm doing it. Um, Literally and metaphorically. And I go and put the food into the microwave and um, grab it and run off and eat it. Crofty comes back in, he goes, there was still 23 seconds left on the microwave. I said, what? What do you mean? Well, you left 23 seconds. Do you always do that? And I said, well, no, I just needed to eat it quickly because I've got to go and do the show. Yeah, but you left twenty-three seconds flashing and beeping, and it really irritated me. I was like, "Oh my god!"
1: He's an odd one, isn't he? He told he told us that he had a fear of tea
0: bags. Was it? Was it tea? Yeah, he's scared of tea bags. He won't. He won't. he, He hates all the. He just. He doesn't. He doesn't like. He doesn't like tea because he hates and has a phobia of tea bags weird I mean yeah.
2: I have known the guy for like 10 years and I did not know that well so yeah. bring, that
0: up, bring that up next time you see him and, and see, if, see if he backtracks um,
2: he's a good man though I won't hear anything bad about Crofty because he is a very nah, loyal we friend we love
0: Crofty um, yeah.
2: but, a of, but a bit of a weirdo
0: <laughs> all the best people are um, yeah. Nat now, now I think now is the perfect time for you to take part in the hardest quiz in motorsports <laughs> Q music, thank you, Timothy. Now, um, now this quiz has been going on for some time now. We're really, really stretching the life out of it. Um, there are 13 points up for grabs. Uh, we're going to play you a couple of clips, and basically, you hear the clips, and then I ask you a few questions about them. They're all related to uh, mostly the last Formula One race, which at uh, this moment in time was the first Silverstone round. Um, and also, there's, uh, there may be a one or two in there relating to you and, and your career and. and sort of maybe interviews you've done and that kind of thing um, Connor Daly currently sits at the top of the leaderboard with 13 points so the only way to beat him is to match him uh, but if we're looking uh, for you know some of your colleagues Crofty ninth with 11 points uh, then we have who else Karun Chandock um, sadly uh, is last with three and a half points <laughs> um, he, he had a mare he's
2: person I know I know
0: and all the questions were about him and he, he got them all wrong it was, oh. it was awful. But are you ready for the hardest quiz We're in not. motorsport?
2: No, but let's do it anyway.
0: Let's do it. Let's have clip number one. Have a listen to this. Here it comes. Come on, Kimmy.
2: Oh. Give, give me something here.
1: I think you'll get that one. Now, can Ice you give racing. me a bit of the context? Yes, yeah. perfect.
2: Ice racing with Kimmy Raikkonen. And he suggested that I had a go. And I asked him for some advice. He didn't give me any. He just said, just go. And then I, I smashed it up and wrote off the car on the first turn. It
0: is a brilliant feature. Um, that is absolutely correct. Now, two more questions for you. What year was that in?
2: Um, I think that was January 2013.
0: Absolutely correct. And what team was Kimi racing for at the Redo. time? Oh.
2: Lotus,
0: Lotus,
1: Lotus. No. Oh. Same Lotus, sort of thing I'm yeah. going to
0: give you the benefit of the doubt on that one Because technically it was Lotus renovate. Yeah, yeah, yes, I'll yes, give you that yes, I will give yes, you that yes. Oh, Thin Ice Thin Ice um, oh, Alright, let's <laughs> Let's let's have um, the second clip Here we go I don't
1: know where he's to go to Hard, really hard Do you want to hear that again?
2: Yes, please
1: no, I, don't know, I don't know where he's supposed to go to Grunas. Can you hear what he's saying? Do you need me to say what he's saying?
2: Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know where you expect me to go. To be honest. Yeah. yeah.
0: So who is saying that, and then what's sort of the context around it?
2: And was it from this last race?
0: From the last race. That's a bit team radio from someone.
2: Oh, Alex Albon.
0: <laughs> Boom. Correct.
2: Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And was have I got to then give more? The context. So what, what
0: was he talking about?
2: Um. Yeah, I remember him saying it now. Um, I don't know where you expect me to go, to be honest. Was it? Was he Was he put out into traffic in Quali? Was that why he was pissed off? No, OK, no, no, I don't like that expression. <laughs> um, OK, hang on, hang on, hang on. I can't think. I
0: can't Do you want be. it one more it time? Was, it was, if I give you... Yeah, hear it one more time, and, and it, it, if I, it wasn't qualifying... Here, have it one more time, here it comes. <laughs>
2: uh, I
0: don't know
1: where you expect me to go, to be honest. Hmm...
0: The face of concentration. Right there. So obviously,
2: it was in the it was in the race.
0: It was in the race.
2: And but hang on, he actually had a he had a.
1: Time's up! Time's up! <laughs> no! No! no. no, okay. no. Um, he-
2: he went he he went to the back and that he that he had a penalty because obviously yeah he got the penalty <laughs> for he had and 5 second penalty that he had taken the pit stop and then he went all the way to the back and then he came through to take what p8 p5
0: but but why did he have the penalty
2: because he um impeded um come on
0: no oh yeah
2: come
0: on i wouldn't say impeded he... was the
2: word. well
1: we could be a bit lenient but... on that. who who
2: was it? It wasn't Lando. It was Leclerc. Oh,
0: oh no, 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 we, no! No points. No, nothing. I'm afraid. No. I will give you the point for. I'll give you two out of three for that oh one my because God, my I was head looking.
2: Explode he had, had a crash feet. with
0: Kevin Magnussen in the first lap.
2: Oh, of course he did. And then Kevin. And then Kevin. Did, yeah. Oh my God. My I forced
0: Kevin. Well, but Kevin and sort Kevin of came on. Higher,
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God! That was only at Sunday for God's sake. <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> that, that blown the Easy ones. That's blown. What? You
2: know what? it's so funny because we we have a running joke in, in the family that I have really bad short-term memory. And, we, and I used to blame it on the babies. We used to say it was baby brain. And then my husband said to me only the other day, how long are you going to... They're five and four now. They're not yeah, babies. Yeah. How long are you going to blame it on them? But you're right. It was, of course, first lap, yes. First lap flash with Kevin and then yeah that, I mean
0: you got all the rest of it he got sent to the bat five second penalty all that but um, I'm talking
2: to him this afternoon yeah, <laughs> oh,
0: you're, you're welcome <laughs> okay well now um the, this, this last one um, I'm actually a bit worried for now oh sorry no what are we on number three number three um, I'm, I'm actually a bit worried now. for now um, so have a listen to this same thing goes It's uh, it's a driver from last race have a listen here it comes Oh guys. I'm so sorry.
2: It's that's Kate, that's um Kvyat. Yes. Uh, and he was saying sorry, wasn't he? Because he um was it in the race or it, 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 it he basically had a puncture and he went off and he effed
0: up his yeah. race yeah. You've, re- yeah you've redeemed yourself totally
2: redeemed yourself
0: <laughs> three out of three for that one yeah I think he thought it was his fault and which then it wasn't Was he it? thought it was his which fault and actually
2: it wasn't and, but he was so annoyed because yeah. I the car was capable of quite a lot the weekend yeah.
0: and he didn't realise well, he, he shut the cameraman as well he the, did he yeah yeah. Out, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah yeah okay right we're back on track we're yeah. doing well yeah. doing well even after that blip okay this is your last bit of team radio and then there's yep. a bonus question so okay. one more bit of team radio for you have a listen here we go I've
1: never
0: drove a race ladies we have <laughs> yeah,
2: nothing left nothing left
0: <laughs> yeah Milly. Grosjean oui yes correct
2: Um, and do you know what I felt a bit sorry for him because they took a nice gamble they went out at, well they stayed out for longer on that first in, and it looked he was running P5 at one point wasn't he mm. Then he was a little bit of a naughty boy and got in the way of Daniel and... A bit Carlos, Simon. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: he has a tendency to do that, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. Naughty
2: boy. Mm. And then obviously he just tumbled down the order again and yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it didn't work out. Has to have having a bit of shocker, aren't they? They really are. But you've yeah. done
0: well there. You've got three, three. points for that one. I
2: was so annoyed about the album one. What a You're volley.
0: Only, you only lost one point on that. so You can still uh, get right up the leaderboard. all right. Okay. You're still, you're still doing well. You're up there. I think you're equaling crofty right now if my maths works any good. So you need this, you need this final point. Right. Bonus question for you. Lewis Hamilton currently tops the Drivers' Championship at the time of recording, which is after the first British Grand Prix. Yeah. But how many points does he have?
2: Oh, for God's sake. You say. can get within now, five. If you get
0: within five, I will give you the point. <sighs> I've got my applause button at the ready.
2: No, this is really annoying because I do know this, but I've just got 91 in my head because that's his polls. Oh, no.
1: You've got a bit of leeway.
2: No, I, I, I don't even want to hazard a guess. Where's my notebook?
0: <laughs> oh, no, no. No, uh, Natalie's no, notebook no does not come into this. How quick's your maths?
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've just written it down so many times, I just can't remember it.
0: Give a number. Take a stab in the dark. No, I can't. On. I mean, you've already said a number, which is quite a good number. Yeah. It's
2: over yeah. 100. <clears throat> okay. Is it not? Mm, no. So is it in the 90s? Mm. Maybe maybe high 80s. Could be. 87. Oh,
0: well, that's good enough. I'll give you the point. <laughs> he has 88 points currently.
2: I'm actually sweating. Do you know how much I'm sweating right now?
0: That's why this it's is the, the hardest hard. quiz in motorsport. It's a tough one. It's
2: not hard. I should know that. I mean, I should actually To be fair, you should.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's do the math, shall we? Fine. Let's do a tot up. I think it's going to it's going to be okay. top 5, isn't it? Well, I mean, you've absolutely smashed Karun Chandot's score, not so hard. you have to worry about not that. Um, so you really wanted to beat Crofty who was on 11 points uh, 13 to top the leaderboard. I can tell you, Natalie Pinkham, you have scored twelve points, which puts you ahead of Crofty, ahead of Jenny Gow, uh, and in the leads of all the. Actually, that puts you of the skies. Oh no! Of the pushy third. Pushy Puts you third on what, the leaderboard overall. I was
2: going to say I was a very happy Max Verstappen to have taken an unlikely second spot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think, but unfortunately, Brendan Hartley has 12.5. Oh, so Brendan. you are half, half a point away. Is. He was brilliant. Um, thank you, Natalie Bingham, for playing
1: Motormouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Well done. Um, you can tell all your friends the highlight of your career. Well done, you top three. Um, li- <laughs> listen, um, I want to touch on um, some of your charity and and, um, and patron work. So you, you have a relationship with Hope and Homes for Children. Tell us a bit about the work that they do and, and your involvement with them.
2: Oh, well, they're, they're an amazing charity. Um, I came to be involved with them. God, I'm going to tell you, squeeze 20 years into two minutes. They, I, I basically went and worked as a volunteer in an orphanage in Romania when I was about um, 18. Gosh. And then um, it's always bothered me that I didn't do more at the time. Obviously, this was before you could, you know, the, there was no social media, there was no, couldn't even really kind of keep in contact via email, but I was, I was really um, frustrated by the fact I couldn't do more, particularly for one little girl called Morella, who was, who I became particularly attached to. They'd always said, don't become attached to any of the children when you're out there because the time will come when you have to leave again and you're basically abandoning them all over again. Um, and... But so I went back 10 years later, I convinced um, a film crew to come with me. I say film crew, it's me and a bloke with a little camera. But we got a commission and a documentary went out on Channel 5. And um, we went to find her in search of Morella. That was the name of the documentary. And I found her actually tied to a radiator. And she had been um, tied to that radiator for on and off pretty much for a decade she'd become totally institutionalized and I was obviously mortified because at age two when I last saw her she was bright-eyed and had so much potential and I vowed obviously I felt incredibly guilty that I hadn't done more sooner um but I then started to fundraise for her and her friends and I filed to adopt her I couldn't bring her back to England because you're not allowed international adoption isn't allowed um So I built a home for her and 11 of her friends and siblings. When a child is neglected to such an extent, their brain actually shrinks. So their life skills are stripped from them. So she could do more at two than she could at 12. Her hands were clawed. Her feet had turned in. She couldn't talk. It was absolutely brutal. And we did a whole, um, I did a whole kind of project and another documentary on institutionalization, the impact it has on children. But actually my F1 friends were incredible. Um, there was this lovely moment in 2011 when I was in the paddock in Australia and a guy called Paul hembury from Pirelli yep. came up to me <laughs> and asked me what I'd been doing over the winter. And I said, well, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Anyway, I told him the story that I'd been looking for this little girl. I'd been in the sewers under Bucharest looking for her. And then I found myself in the paddock in um, Melbourne, surrounded by mind-blowing wealth, you know, every step there was a billionaire. And I, could, I couldn't really um, process this huge leap that I'd taken between abject poverty and huge wealth. And I felt quite sort of disillusioned by it all. And I remember ringing my mum and saying, mom, I just don't know if I can do this job. It's so weird. It's so, so different. And she said, well, look, stay put. And you never know, you could leverage your position in that world to help those that you've, um, seen in Romania and beyond. And sure enough, um, fast forward, you know, what is it, nine years now, um, I've had tremendous support from the F1 community, helped me build a house for Morella, helped me adopt her and these other profoundly damaged children. And um, Paul Hembury had said to me at the time, um, I'd like to give you your first check to build her a home because Pirelli are opening a factory in a place called Slatina, which is the last place Morella had been seen. So, not only did I find her, but I had this incredibly serendipitous moment with Paul Hembry. And he himself had been abandoned at birth. And this is why. Wow. And he'd gone on to Struck make the success of his life. Incredible guy. And he gave me 25 grand Wow. to start the ball rolling. Um, yeah. And, <sighs> you know, I don't know. It's It motivates me every day. I've obviously gone on to have two of my own kids. I'm taking them back to see some of the projects that we work on. But our aim is to end institutionalisation. And we do that by trying to keep families together. 80% of the world's orphans aren't actually orphans. They've been separated from their parents and families because of war and poverty. And what we need to do, particularly now with this coronavirus pandemic, is is equip families strengthen them educate them to stay together and make it work and help them get jobs and then sure enough kids will grow up loved and safe um, well safer because actually when when we talk to these children the only thing they really care about is being in a family they just want to be loved yeah. they don't want the new trainers expensive toys they just want to be loved yeah so that's what we try to do wow,
0: wow that's amazing geez. amazing i think that's why we love talking to uh, such different people from from this from the motorsport world because you're right it's such a you know having been in a paddock in a in a pit lane on the grid it is such a bubble it is such a and you just as soon as you step out of it you just can't really comprehend what what it is you've just done. It, it, it's sort of, not, it's not real. And then yeah. meeting people like you who have you experience you know, the, the complete opposite to it. it it's it, its fascinating. It, it's amazing what you've been able to do. And and thank God you stayed in, in the F1 job because, you know, that's how you've been able to do it, which is amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, honestly, you, you, as you say, everybody's got a story and just mm. that chance meeting with Paul Hembury yeah. changed wow. my life and changed Morella's life and changed all her little friends. And, you know, Paul was amazing. He used to go and visit Morella and the other children every time he was at the Pirelli factory. He'd go and take them toys and, you know, what a tremendous guy. And um, I will forever be in his debt because he he helped me. Um, not only start but finish a passion project that meant the
1: world to me. So that's amazing! What an incredible story! And and fair play to him as well. And I don't know. Um, I don't know whether that got covered publicly. Um, his involvement at the time, but um, you know, he's another one of those characters who, you know, working for Pirelli and often being the, the mouthpiece for them, got an incredibly rough ride. Um, you know, when there were instances of, of tire failures and so on, and you know, he got such a hard time from um, social media and, and the press and. so so on and it's nice to hear um such a positive spin on him and his his involvement um yeah. so fair play to him that's that's amazing and what what a cool story so we'll, we'll obviously share all the links to hopes uh, to hope and homes for children um along with this podcast because it sounds like an incredible thing that you're doing there so mm. um really big kudos um for that amazing stuff oh. Um, Thanks.
2: I have to say that people like Damon and Johnny and Martin Brundle and Jensen, Daniel, Ricardo—they've all been amazing. They've all uh, Felipe Massa—they've all come to my fundraisers and um, over the years and really supported me. So there's a lot of love and there's a lot of um, philanthropy within Formula One that you don't hear about, and uh, these guys do a hell of a lot um, behind the scenes to make a difference. And I'm so grateful for them for that.
1: Brilliant. No, that that's great. Well, um, you know, anything we can do, of course, in our own small sure. little way, um, would love to, but we, we can certainly talk about that. Um, talking about people being interviewed like Paul um, in the paddock, you, you've you interviewed many, if not all, of the, the good and great that have been in, in motorsport over the last uh, few years. Um, who do you always look forward to having a chat to?
2: Well, Daniel's an obvious one um, because he is... He never disappoints um you know and I and I never forget him saying to me he had he'd had a crap race in spa a couple of years ago, and um, I remember sort of you always try to like think about how you can ask the question without further rubbing salt in the wound for the driver yeah. because the last thing they really want to do is be talking to you um. So you always try to sort of soften it and look for the positives. But equally, you know, yeah, it's difficult to package it up sometimes as anything other than just being a rubbish day. And I said to him, I'm really sorry you've had such a bad day. And he said, you know what, don't worry, because one of my bad days is anyone else's great day. You know, I'm living the dream. And please don't ever feel sorry for me. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Because I think a lot of people see Daniel as a bit of a joker and he is, and he, you know, he's great fun, but he's an incredibly kind person. He's incredibly thoughtful. He's got a massive heart. He really genuinely cares. Um, And so, yeah, he's always a joy to interview. Yeah.
0: That's nice. He always seems like the perfect person to, to have on camera as well. Like if you you always get something good out of him, it feels like uh, regardless of if he's had a crap race or not. Um, has there ever been a moment where um, you've sort of been interviewing someone or, or, or hosting to camera and you've just thought, I want the ground to swallow me up? I've done something horrific here. Please get me out of this.
2: Oh my God. So many times. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, it, it's it's funny because, you know, look, we're, you know, sometimes as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, what am I even saying? <laughs> oh my God. Um, and, but, you know, hopefully people at home know that you're just human and that you're just trying to process a lot of information. I think one, one hard part of our job is, and there's no hard parts, it's all great, it's lovely, but um, one of the trickiest bits is when you're in the pen and all the drivers flood in at the same time and you've got them sort of backing up and you're thinking, and you're starting to sweat because you've got just these notes that you've scribbled as the race has gone on and say somebody that might have had a fairly you know, low-key race stands in front of you. And you're thinking, oh my god, what happened in his race? And you're scuffling through your notebook, going, what even happened in his race? I can't even remember what happened at Alex Albon and Kaimak <laughs> <Yeah>. on Sunday. <laughs> oh that god, that was big. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. But
2: yeah, listen, loads of times, and, and you, you know, but I, I think ninety percent of the drivers are kind blokes, and they know that you're just trying to do a job, and they know that you're a conduit for the fans, and they quite often want to vent as well. They want to t- say their piece. So you often just have to tee them up and say, you know, tell me about your frustrations today. You keep them, you keep, you sometimes keep it fairly generic. Um, but I, I do remember my first ever interview with Michael Schumacher and, um, I was obviously absolutely petrified and I reached out and they, and I remember Mark Webber, who by the way is another incredible human being, um, he, Mark said to me, "Look, Nats, you just got to be, you know, you just got to sharpen the elbows, get in there." And Mark got the giggles on my first weekend because he was like, "Where's Nat? Where is she?" Because he knew that I was nervous about being there, and he could see me right at the back, and he went, "Yeah, good elbows, pinks." Like, <laughs> I was so far back, I just didn't get in there. I was so embarrassed. Up uh... the thought of it, and when eventually I did get up to Michael to ask him a question, I put my hand on his arm like that. And he went like that and like looked down at my hand on his arm as, as if to say, what are you doing? Oh, God. You're touching, actually touching me. And I think I'm quite a tactile person, so I quite like going in for the hug. <laughs> I just t- and I kind of went, ooh. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That. sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, my hand oh, no. Away. Anyway, he was lovely as well, so I didn't have anything to worry about.
0: Good. Oh, amazing. <laughs> what a story. Uh, get, yeah, get your elbows out. Um, now, um... I've seen you do a couple of videos recently uh looking into electric cars. Um oh, yeah. Yeah. now what what's your what's your take on the whole electric world for and, and particularly in motorsport, you know, if we've got Formula E, we've got this new extreme yeah. e thing coming in. It's getting bigger and bigger yeah. every every year really. What, what's your sort of take on it all?
2: Well, I mean, um I'm really excited by it. So so that that was a cu- couple of reasons that we got involved with that. So Kirsty Gallagher is a good mate of mine and we wanted to support our friends Small business, obviously, they are getting a hammering at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not an advert per se. um It's really to support small business within um, within the UK. And this mate of ours, Sam at Vaults Leasing. Hey, there you go. Nice there one.
1: You go.
2: There you go, Sammy. Um, he. he It occurred to me, and I know it sounds, you know, a bit hippie-ish, but it's the truth, that one of the really positive things, apart from being together as a family, that I loved about lockdown was these clear skies and Mm -hmm. this replenishment of the planet and just no cars on the roads. And we I was thinking, God, we've really got... responsibility here, particularly as a mum. You know, I I walk the kids to nursery and school and there's one bit where I have to go down quite a busy road. And I saw this report that said, if you could just choose a different route, it's better for your child's lungs. And of course, my God, you're thinking, oh my God, what what am I doing? By living in a city with, with two young kids. So anyway... The long and the short of it was that me and then said, right, well, let's support Sam. Let's just review a load of cars and put them out there. And we, we, we've done about 10 cars now. We're all through the price range um, that we're just going to um, drip out over the next few weeks just to show people what your options are in terms of electric and hybrid. And um, it's getting better. It's getting easier. And, uh, you know, I think we've all got, um, yeah, I think we should all be getting behind it if we can. Um, mm. It's, it's ultimately cheaper to do it, and it's so much better for the planet.
0: Yeah, yeah. From a racing aspect as well, though, do you think Formula E is is sort of the right way to go with, with electric racing? Do you think, you know, there's talk of things like hydrogen stuff, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert. I don't know if you are either, but yeah, it no. just sort of, in terms of where where we where a motorsport fan sits, uh, you know, there's the, obviously everyone keeps saying Formula E is not here to replace Formula One. It never will. But there is that argument, of course, where the world needs assistance and Formula One surely is is not the best type of sport to be assisting in in, in terms of carbon emissions.
2: No, but I think uh, Formula One under Liberty are making big strides. They're making uh, strides to be carbon neutral by, I think, it's 2030, which wow. is... Very ambitious, but um, I I need to check that, actually, because um, I know that Sky are absolutely leading the way in terms of um, being carbon neutral. I mean, if you come onto our campus, it's quite incredible um, how much there's no single-use plastic allowed at all on campus so you can't buy a bottle of water for example there's water fountains everywhere you have to fill up your water bottles um I know that's a, just a small step but I realized as a family how much plastic we go through so we're all making these in, incremental gains um and actually I interviewed Alejandro Agad the guy who set up Formula E for my podcast and I sort of asked him the same question and he said look you know we just have to keep exploring and pushing the boundaries and we have to understand and do what we can to to improve the planet and this uh Extreme-y, which is another one of his yeah, creations, sounds wicked mm, yeah I know, right mm, and awesome. getting involved with it um but it sounds brilliant but look I always get a bit you know I'm not an expert but I'm interested and I want to learn I want to educate myself and I always get a little bit funny about those that are prickly with those that are trying to learn because until we all try to learn a bit and so it's <laughs> like the BLM movement until we all just make um, improvements to our own individual lives then nothing will change you know on the macro level yeah
1: mm. yeah absolutely and, and talking of the planet you've obviously traveled a huge amount of it with your your work what's your favorite place to go uh on the f1 circuit
2: yeah that 's another thing isn 't it because whilst there 's that much air travel around Formula One, then there will always be problems and implications for for the planet so um we do have to consider this i mean this truncated season is going to see us racing much more in Europe than ever mm. before um, and not going further afield, not taking these long haul flights and not you know increasing our carbon footprint. but in terms of where I love to go i mean look i um I think you 're hard pushed to find a more fun weekend than Monaco. Like it's just, it's pretty. It's weird. It's surreal. Um, take it with a trowel of salt, but go because yeah. um, lots of people say to me, "Oh my god, but you know, can't afford to go to Monaco." Ted and I, one of my favourite ever features that we ever did, was doing it on a massive budget or a tiny one. And luckily for me, I got the massive budget.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I got the super yachts and the helicopters. But Ted had to do it on a shoestring. But he did a brilliant job, and he proved that for a couple of 100 euros you can go and camp and you can get the bus and the train and have an incredible experience and monaco is just bonkers um but brilliant and it's it's should really be on everyone's bucket list if yeah, you can yeah. you should go
0: yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it is i remember going there a couple of years ago for the formula e and i was simply just trying to find a supermarket to buy some to buy some sort of food and i Oh, I could find Chanel I found Bugatti I found all these all of these incredibly luxurious I just want a supermarket where can I find one that's that's did buy. Yeah. yeah exactly where's the cost gutter? I, I um, did I did it on a yacht you know yeah. oh of course
1: I'd love to claim it was mine but it wasn't it was uh, It was one that belonged well I think the Chilterns rented it for the week
2: oh, um, what a good family they are they're
1: lovely outside of uh, broadcasting and quizzing which you've proved you're very good at um we know you can skate a little bit we've delved into the archives and seen you (laughs) dancing around the ice flicking your hair in uh dancing on ice where
2: hair extensions (laughs)
0: fantastic was it was it was it the second week you bowed out or i didn't
2: bow out i was unceremoniously (laughs) dumped
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i didn't want to go there
2: no, so, it's you, fine. It's the have you carried
0: on the skating, things. the skating then, or uh, ever since?
2: No, I've tried to show off when we go to the skating rink, you know, at Christmas time, and I always make a fool out of myself there as well. No, it was. <laughs> um, you know what? It was. It was an amazing experience to be taught how to skate by and Dean. I mean, that is like yeah, another cool. bucket list thing, isn't it? Mm, unbelievable. Yeah. But I wasn't. Um, I certainly wasn't very well known. I mean, I remember somebody saying, which one's the celebrity? Because they didn't know who I was. And when they saw me skate, they went, well, it must be her because she's rubbish. (laughs) Um, So so, yeah, I was never going to go very far. But um, I remember saying to my Russian partner, um, you know, how how do you think I'm getting on? you, You know, he said... Well, lifting you—it know, is—it's like lifting octopus. <laughs> like this. Uh, I was just terrible. Oh, and, uh, Yeah, it was never.
1: Well, we yeah, we won't put that it. as one of your talents then. So let, no. let's let's look at what what are your talents? Do you have any hidden talents? Do you do anything like Will Buxton, for example, blew us away because he cooks, he can draw, um, he what was the other? He plays the guitar. Um, really, one of those annoying people that's just good at yeah. bloody everything. Um, yeah. What's your th- What's your thing? Do you have a thing?
2: Hmm. Um, no, I'm still looking for that hidden talent. I'd love to be able to sing, cannot sing. I'd love to be able to dance, definitely can't dance. No, no
0: me neither. Um, Can you I... move your ears independently? Oh.
2: Absolutely not. Can you?
0: okay? Well, that's that's what I, that's my thing. Yeah, if you just. I know. can
2: put. I'm not uh, going to try it now, oh, I can, but I can that. put that's my cool. leg over the back of my neck. Over oh, there my you head. go.
0: I'd I'm call like, that. I'd call that a talent. Not Thanks, everyone can do much. that.
2: Yeah. Um, and we, I'm weirdly strong for a skinny bird. I'm weirdly strong. Hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I can. So I I can squat my husband. Okay. So my husband's that's nearly impressive. 100 kilos, and he goes on my shoulders, and I can squat him. <laughs> That's, that's a, I think there's a video on Instagram. Wow. I had, I'd had a few rum punches on the beach at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and still able to do it I think that's the I think that is the talent right there that's yeah. what you should go for well, I
2: did it I did it and, and and I was squatting with him and he's I mean he's a fitness freak and he was like mm, you wouldn't get a rep for that I was like oh just <laughs> like, I did have the or right technique fitness. yeah uh, um... the next day I, I did it again and I said right I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again I'm gonna go for a record so I think I did six squats on the first day anyway the next day I hadn't had anything to drink I couldn't do one I couldn't even pick him up Hmm. so just goes to show go
1: on, booze <laughs> there's nothing Powerful. wrong with a few glasses of wine yeah, yeah. absolutely alright well let's flip it around what are, you, what are you terrible at what are you really crap at
2: I mean all the things I just mentioned yeah. I cannot sing <laughs> I cannot dance I cannot cook I'm trying really hard with cooking since being a mum I'm really trying to get better at that um, but yeah I don't know uh, jack of all trades master of none yeah. I like trying new things so I'll always give it a go
0: well Talking of uh, being a jack of all trades as a broadcaster, you tend to sort of do lots, lots of different things, which you've proven. What what advice do you have for uh, any any young women in particular, as well, or any young people who are who are interested in going down a broadcasting route and particularly motorsport, um, and, and want to want to achieve the success you've had?
2: So I think the the best advice that I got given um, was. Well, first of all, just do something you're really passionate about because then it doesn't feel like work, and yeah. then it feels you 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 will genuinely sit up reading, researching, um, prepping till the middle of the night, and it won't feel like a lot of effort. My mum's seventy, and she's still oh my gosh, she's killed me for telling everyone that <laughs> she's seventy, out, and, the idea. and she's still a practicing barrister who is smashing it in court wow. every day of her life because she's so passionate about child welfare, which she she represents a lot of kids who've been. Abandoned or abused, um, and she's so good at it, and she works so hard at it because she pas- she's passionate about it. But um, I another bit another little bit of advice that I got that I thought was quite handy was if you watch a program like a documentary or something that you love. Um, write down the name at the end of the show of the director, the producer, the, the production company and just write to them. Yeah, great just idea. Them. And, you know, everyone loves to have their ego flattered and say, I really loved your show. Um, can I come and see you? Can I have a cup of tea? Um, can I work for free on something just to show you? I mean, maybe you're not allowed to do that these days, work for free, mm. but... I certainly used to go and do work experience at loads of places just to try and build a CV up um, that would show that I was committed and work hard. And then once you're there, be the first to arrive and the last to leave every day. Even if it kills you, just work your socks off. Because there's, as my dad always tells me, there's no substitute for hard work. Just get get involved, get your hands dirty, get Uh, on with it.
0: Absolutely. Very, very sound advice. Great advice. Um, Well, Natalie, we have kept you for far too long, but we have a final three questions to ask. Which we asked to all of our guests. Um, so I'll kick off with the first one. What's got you excited right now?
2: Interviewing Alex Albon this afternoon, and rem- you reminded me that he came off in the first lap with k <laughs>
0: Thank you. If I don't get a mention of that, I'll be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. If not
1: doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? <laughs>
2: I would probably, and I certainly toyed with it, go the same route as my mum because she and I are very similar people. So I actually had a place at law school that I kept deferring for years. Um, But I do love broadcasting. Um, You never know, I will um, potentially... My mum didn't qualify as a barrister until she was 40. So anyone can have a career change at any point in their life. Absolutely. Mm.
0: Um, And final question, what are you scared of?
2: Oh my God, long list. Snakes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The dark. Mm.
1: Well, I know Ooh, the before.
2: dark. I, I sleepwalk a lot.
0: I hate that. Oh, it freaks me out. Really?
2: I sleepwalk a lot, so I'm scared of what I will do at nighttime because I w- mm. quite often walk the downstairs and...
0: Have you had any weird things happen when I, you've been sleepwalking?
2: God, are you kidding me? What do you do when you sleepwalk? Do you, like, make a cup of tea
0: or what do you do? I,
2: I evacuated the hotel in <laughs> Texas. No, you the didn't. Free, uh, uh, in Austin. What? I told them there was a flood. I've been been found outside in the corridor by Security Guard with my hairbrush interviewing (laughs) nobody because I was sleepwalking.
1: Oh, my God. This is amazing.
2: I banged on the doors at the Belgian Grand Prix, waking everybody up. I've done so many things. I mean, luckily the whole team know now. So everybody knows that like, oh it goes pinkers well,
1: again. Why has sky not done a feature on that? This yeah. is amazing. Uh, <laughs> so hang on, you you've, you've left your hotel room. You've walked you've gone down an elevator to reception and told someone in the lobby that there's a flood in the hotel. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 It's the
1: best thing I've ever and heard.
2: So do you know what I do now? I actually well I've always I've done it for the last few years I put a suitcase against the door and then a chair in front of the suitcase I almost build like an assault course so that I trip over stuff and that wakes me up I've got really bruised shins from just walking into stuff wow
0: that
1: is incredible that's amazing this needs to be investigated more this is is, yeah clearly completely cuckoo well listen um, as Harry says we've kept you for long enough uh, this morning thank you so much for joining us Um, really good to chat with you and hear your story and Guidance, advice for those coming up into broadcasting in their own um, worlds, and your thoughts on sport and so on. Um, let's uh, let's hope the racing continues. We don't get a second lockdown and all have to you know go backwards and, and back to being indoors the whole time. do uh, think it. No, it's, it's, it's it. not. It's don't not going to happen. with positivity. Yeah, for, first, yeah. Uh, best foot forward. Um, but thanks so much for joining us and uh, Natalie Pinkham that's been the Motormouth podcast thank you very much thank you
0: thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook just search Motormouth you can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy don't forget to like subscribe 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 and review. And until next time, you've been listening
2: to the Motormouth Podcast.